Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Crypto Business Podcast, helping you navigate the frontier of crypto. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Crypto Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web 3.0. Today, I'll be joined by Denise Holt, and we're going to explore decentralized autonomous organizations, what they are, why they matter. And by the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show and subscribe so you do not miss any of our future content. And now for this week's interview with Denise Holt. Helping you to simplify your crypto journey. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Denise Holt. If you don't know who she is, she's a serial entrepreneur, an artist, and founder of the Beverly Hills Crypto Ladies Group. She's also the founder of Epic NFTs. Denise, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited that you're here. And today, we're going to talk about decentralized autonomous organizations, also known as DAOs, why they matter, what businesses need to know. But before we go there, I would love to hear your story. How in the world did you get into crypto? Start wherever you want to start. Okay. Well, I am a huge tech geek girl and I have been for decades. So it was kind of natural to get into crypto. Obviously, I have a lot of regrets that I didn't get into Bitcoin a lot earlier because I was fully aware of it. I just kind of wanted to see where it was going. But really, when I dove in was probably 2016 was probably when I kind of dipped my toes in and really started checking it out. But 2017 was when I really started getting into it. And by 2018, I was actually working on a, working on a DAO at the time. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. Called Global Village Solutions. And it had a pretty massive goal. It was basically the idea was to empower people around the world who are stifled by government corruption and, and all kinds of things like that. You know, and the first test pilot was actually going to be in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria with solar energy and it had a big vision. It was based on ICOs at the time. And that's the year that the SEC came in and squashed ICOs. Yeah. And let's just say that's initial coin offering ICO for those that don't know what that means. Right. Okay. Yeah. So then it became really clear that the, you know, Security and Exchange Commission had to figure out what their regulation was going to be. So everything with that got put on hold. But I've been in the space since. I've been fascinated watching what's happening with NFTs. And I got into NFTs in 2020 myself. You know, I've been an artist since my whole life. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about that. Tell us about that journey into NFTs. I'm curious about that. I grew up around paints and easels. My grandfather, great-grandfather, they were artists. I didn't start painting myself till I was like 21. I grew up around a mother who didn't want to mess in the house. So there were no paints allowed. 
But once I was out on my own and, you know, I started painting, I knew I was in love, you know, and then I started having children. So then it was like, oh, I can't have paints around. And that's when I gravitated to digital art. I think I'm one of the first people who had a Wacom tablet, you know, when they were still the computer gray color in 98. And that was cool to me because you could just come back to your art and it's right where you left it anytime you close your computer or open it back up. And then I, when my kids got a little older, I actually was like, okay, now I can paint again, but let's turn this into a business. And I had an interior decorative painting company where I would paint murals, do all kinds of stuff like that. Cool. And that, you know, that went away when the housing market crashed in 2008. But, you know, I've been painting since. So when I saw NFTs, it's like it brought all my loves of art into one space, including the technology side. So really, my idea was, okay, I want to get into this. So let's make an impact. You know, how can I do that? Well, by documenting the historical time that we're in, because we're really in the infancy of all of this still, you know, Bitcoin turns 13 years old on January 3rd. You know, that was when the first block was mined to the Bitcoin blockchain. And so 13 years in, there's been so many monumental things happening. So I thought, well, I'm going to represent them with art. And that's what I started doing. And I'm such a tech geek that I was like, okay, cool. I can put in like the real authentic code and all the all the little details, like little Easter eggs in the art pieces because it's all digital. And, you know, so that's really what I started doing. And now it's evolved into a project called the Historical DAO which the idea, actually, I have a piece that's dropping on January 3rd on this anniversary for the Bitcoin Genesis block. And it's called the Genesis block. And the idea is that half the proceeds of this and the rest of them in the series that's called the Bitcoin Incidents series, that money is going to fund the creation of the historical DAO, which I envision as kind of the Smithsonian of the metaverse. (laughs) And what's great is the people who are buying these auction pieces, then they actually get to be the members of the DAO that vote on everything from, you know, what we do with the finances, you know, the funds that are created from the sales of these items and investing them into different DeFi protocols, which they'll all vote on to generate even more profit. And then those profits will go to buying the land, setting up the museum, and then all of those members will be the ones that vote to what pieces in the whole entire ecosphere of NFTs get added into that historical museum. Is it going to be a real museum or a virtual museum? A virtual museum. Got it. But it'll be a place to host the NFTs that belong in that space of history, of documenting the rise of all of this, you know, right into the rise of the metaverse. So um, it should be pretty interesting. I'm excited about that project because it'll be like created by the people for the people and it'll be autonomous. So it's like it'll be on autopilot. Very cool. Tell us a little bit about the Beverly Hills Crypto Ladies Group and a little bit about that story as well. When I was in LA, I lived in the Bay Area for many, many years. And then I moved down to back down to Southern California. It's where I grew up. And I started going to all of these blockchain meetups, uh, crypto meetups in Santa Monica and Beverly Hills. And it was all men. And you'd be in a room of 200 men and there's maybe three women, you know, and this was late 2017, early 2018. And it was interesting because these women were doing 
awesome things, you know, like learning Solidity, creating their own dApps, you know, which are the decentralized applications based on the Ethereum blockchain. And they were all working on so many cool projects, but I felt like, oh, we need a place where we can all gather because, you know, everybody kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And what I experienced in a lot of those meetings was you talk to anybody there, a lot of the men just automatically dismiss what you're working on or what you're doing. You know, I would be sitting there talking about the Global Village Solutions project I'm working on. And it was just, I don't know, it was just kind of dismissed a lot of the time without, anyway, we're not going to go there. (laughs) Well, that's cool. So you started this group of ladies and what happened? Yeah. So we would have events, you know, And, you know, I would select speakers from within the female community of blockchain women. And, you know, I actually was also a member of of different women's blockchain groups because there were a few of them at the time. And so we all kind of just aggregated together and held some really cool events, you know, to where we'd be speaking on the different projects, doing, you know, it, it was just more kind of female empowering in the space. You know, one of the things that was really disheartening to me was, you know, like with crypto, crypto itself, back then we knew it had the opportunity to really democratize finances and give anybody the opportunity to be elevated, you know, financially. Yet women were making up less than 5% of the space. And yet they're the ones who really could use a boost in the financial ownership department. (laughs) hundred percent. So so this, this new project you're working on, what about Epic NFTs? Do you want to just tell us a little bit about what that is? So Epic NFTs, basically, like I said, I, I, you know, I wanted to make a difference and doing historical pieces was really an important pathway to me because I figured that's baking in value to the pieces themselves because they're historically documenting the time that we're in and the important times that we're in and doing it in a way that's very authentic with different, with the original code, with all, all kinds of things like that. The, you know, I'll have numbers scrolling across. It's like the Bitcoin price of that day and Ethereum and the s and and NASDAQ. So, you know, it's really recording a day in history and for this monumental event and down the road, You know, what collectors want when they're buying something in the space right now is they want to know it's going to increase in value. And, you know, a lot of these different collections, they'll increase in value because of what the use case is for it within like a metaverse sphere or different things. But a lot of the art pieces, it's just a matter of personal taste. So to me, I thought, well, you know, if I'm doing something that's a historical documentation, then 10 years from now, it'll be one of the first ones that was. (laughs) And it will just naturally increase in value. So that was really my idea with with starting the Epic NFTs. And then now it's just evolved into the DAO project, the historical DAO, which, you know, will be a museum. So and it won't just host my pieces. That will be a museum that will be a host for all the important pieces that are being created today. So it kind of takes it away from me and my involvement in the space, because obviously I'm not going to be the only historical documenter of the time. And every piece that's doing that deserves a place in history. So that was my idea with Historical Dow. Thanks, first of all, for sharing your experience. You've been doing this a lot longer than obviously me and a lot of my listeners. Many people listening right now are in the business world and they're hearing the word Dow. They're hearing the words decentralized autonomous organization, and they want to know why they should even consider it. 
what are the benefits? Why should they do something like this? What do you want to say to them? The DAO, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization, is actually going to be what the business organizations of the future look like. Because what it does is it democratizes the direction of the organization itself and it democratizes the ability for someone to be involved and included. And, you know, what I mean by that is you have a normal corporation or an LLC, you know, and it's top down. You've got your leadership, your executive leadership, and then, you know, like, down at the bottom are the employees who are doing a lot of the hard work. And yet they don't have any say in the decision-making or the direction of the company, whereas a DAO is completely different. And autonomous is the key word because basically a DAO is structured by smart contracts. Smart contracts are what govern, set the rules for government, set the rules for how decisions are made and how objectives within the organization move forward. And all of that's done by voting rights within the entire organization, the entire decentralized autonomous organization. Now, the way DAOs are formulated are are different depending on what the objective is for the DAO. You know, you've got DAOs right now where people are just joining together and pooling their money so they could afford to buy more expensive NFTs. (laughs) And then they have fractional ownership in those assets, right? So you have that kind of thing happening, but you also have venture capitalists coming together, pooling their money in a DAO and investing in businesses, investing in early stage startups in the decentralized space, that kind of thing. And then you have organizations that want to operate like a business, but they're doing it in a way that it takes away the issues that you have with, say, like you've got your your board, right? And, you know, they're they have a certain invested interest in the structure and how the business is going to run and what determines what makes money, things like that. And then you've got the CEO and the other executives who are running it. Well, their objectives may not always mesh. And it takes away from the ability for that CEO to be making decisions that the board may not exactly agree with, but they're doing it for their own interest, their own self-interest. It takes away the ability for anybody within that organization to operate off of self-interest, which is, I think, really important. So wait, just so I understand, people that belong to the DAO are people that have purchased NFTs or tokens. Is that correct? Or do I have that wrong? Yeah. So basically what a DAO, there's a couple of ways the DAO can operate, you know, but usually it's with a token sale. They create a token for the organization and then people buy in, they buy the token and that's their buy into having a voice within the organization. And a lot of times the, the power of your voice is dependent on how many tokens you have, you know, each one would get equal voting rights. So it's kind of like traditional business in that regards, right? Where you have investors who own a piece of the business based on how much they put into it, right? So, and they have voting rights and it sounds like it's mostly a majority rule. Is that generally how it works with a lot of these DAOs? Yeah. And, you know, one of the protections within a DAO is that generally the basis of the code for operating the DAO is written before the investment comes in. So the people who are investing in agree with the objectives of the DAO, agree with the direction that it's going in, right? So that basic code is unchangeable, you know? So you can't have someone come in going, well, I'll put my money in, but we're going to do it this way. And I'll only put it in if we're doing it this way. So you don't have that kind of leverage being pulled 
you know, everybody coming in has a general consensus that this is a great idea to move forward this way. Now, decisions can be made and changes can be made, but it has to be made after that with the consensus. And that I think is the key difference. So when you say consensus, you mean majority? Is that what that means? Yeah. Of the actual DAO members who are all voting equally. Yeah. Got it. So, so what is really the unique business advantage beyond the fact that there's a smart contract that's enforcing kind of the way it works? Why should someone listening right now who is maybe got a business already, why should they set up a DAO? Like what's in it for them? Does that make sense? One of the things is it's cost saving because instead of having to rely on a lot of third parties to to make decisions and, you know, to ensure that things are going to go a certain way, including legal, which how many companies spend so much money on legal? Basically, when you've got smart contracts that are in place and they are automating what's happening based on decisions that are being making, made votes that are taking place, and then it automatically goes into effect. There's no third party that has to be the mediator. And so you're going to cut out a lot of costs with mediation. Okay. <laughs> and number one, that and that's huge. Does it seem like it's more for nonprofit than for profit or is there money to be made here with DAOs? No, there's for profit is huge with DAOs. And, you know, when you think of it with like, you know, the venture capital firms that are coming together in this space, that's all for profit, but they're doing it in a way that is, you know, it's just, I feel like it's, it's an easier way to do business and it's a more trusted way to do business because, you know, like I said, it takes away from the ability for any entity to kind of push for their own leverage and, and steer things in a different direction. Yeah. We mentioned uh, something when we were chatting before, when we were prepping for this interview about artists and musicians and also bounties. So maybe you could talk about both of those. So it's really interesting because I think a lot of people miss the whole point of what NFTs are doing because they see these collectibles that look like ridiculous pixelated pieces of art, you know, and they're like, why would anybody pay all that money for it? And, you know, some of it is pretty ridiculous, but the reality is, is that all NFTs are is a smart contract. It's a type of smart contract. So the reason you see artists and musicians really wrapping their hearts around it is because it ensures them the ability to actually take out any middleman between them and the person who's appreciating their art and wants to buy their art or be involved in it. So with an NFT and a smart contract, I, as an artist, I can sell you my work of art through a smart contract and I can bake into that contract any terms that I want that are agreeable to you at the time of the sale. So that can include a lot of different things. You know, we're seeing basic things right now, but that can include to where, say, you take on the art, it grows in value and you go, oh, you know what? I want to sell this now so that I can make a profit. Well, in that sale, it could be determined in the smart contract that me, as the original artist, I still get 10% of that next sale and any sale thereafter. And no one can ever stop that. No one can ever decide, oh, we think she's earned enough, you know, like, you know. And when you think of musicians and, and, and look at what's happened even before the digital age and now with the digital age. Musicians have been raped by record companies forever, you know, from having their own licensing of their music swiped away from them to, you know, just being paid peanuts compared to what the record company makes. Right. 
And now they have the ability to actually go one to one. You want my music here? Here it is, you know, pay me directly. And it takes away all of that. And when you think of what happened with the digital age, you've got companies like Spotify. I don't know if you've seen what Spotify pays their artists. No, it's probably not very much. Yeah. It's like a couple cents a listen, you know, and they're making so much more. (laughs) Like, that's the problem. People say, well, if there's so many listens to that, then the artist can't complain because they're making a lot of money. It's, and it's not about that. It's about the balance. You know, it's like, well, why should this entity, this third party centralized organization that had nothing to do with the creation of this art? Why are they the heavy on the profit? So th- is there a connection between this and DAOs at all, just out of curiosity, or is this more of an NFT thing? A DAO can be run off of NFTs as well. So just like with the historical DAO museum, that's going to be triggered instead of coins, it's NFT and it's NFT purchases. So an artist can actually become their own record company. An artist can actually become their own entity that offers so much more. Exclusive access to concerts, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Tickets, you know, things like that. And you can become the governing body around all of that monetization of your art. And it's interesting because there's a lot of different examples of what's happening with DAOs right now that are beyond, you know, the couple of things that I've mentioned. But, you know, people are projecting that, you know, sports franchises in the future are going to be owned. They're going to be turned into DAOs and it'll be the ownership of that DAO that then chooses the players, chooses, you know, the direction of the franchise itself. And, you know, when you think of that kind of inclusion, And you think of the possibilities there. That's pretty amazing. As far as like, even in the the digital marketing sphere, you see a lot of people who are jumping on the creator coins. And, you know, that's still an organization that is running those coins, right? So each one of those members, they could form their own DAO, offer their own coin, and really keep all that creator token sphere within their own control between them and the people who are actually their fans and their contributors. Like you create your own ecosphere, basically. What's a bounty? Is that the thing you were talking about with the 10% or is that something totally different? That's different. So one of the kind of exciting parts with an NFT too, is that you can attach a bounty onto it, you know, and that's basically like a referral fee that's paid to the person who refers somebody who purchases that nft so then smart contract automatically pays them a referral bonus and nobody has to decide any of this so wait a minute so i own a denise holt nft and i show the world about my nft somehow some way it tracks that they found out about it from me is that what you're saying right so OpenSea already offers bounties So basically they have it to where whatever the URL is for the piece, if you attach your bounty code to it and the person clicks that, it's just like affiliate codes, right? The person clicks that and then purchases that smart contract is automatically going to pay your wallet 2%, 5%, whatever the bounty fee is. I think with them, it's like 2%. That's more of a off the top of the transaction, not forever as that thing's moving around, right? That's for that initial one. But think of it with real estate. Think of it with anything where, you know, you're 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 basically referring business. You know, that's the beauty of a smart contract. A smart contract can have any terms you want in it. A smart contract can be written with multiple royalties baked in that'll go to a few different people. When you have people collaborating on something together, they can all get paid and they can all get paid residuals, too. A smart contract is basically just a set of code 
with rules baked in to where anytime something is executed with that particular piece of property, the smart contract goes into effect and any of those rules, they're automatically engaged. So you were talking about how people with DAOs can band together and buy sports franchises, for example, in the future. What other kind of examples, crazy examples do you have of things that are happening with DAOs off the top of your head? So I I just recently saw there's a DAO called Friends with Benefits, (laughs) and it's not what you think it would be. I've heard of this, actually. Tell me more about this. Yeah. It's an organization of people who are super passionate about decentralization, and, you know, they want to be able to help shape the future of the technology. There's a FWB coin, you know, anybody who wants to become a member can come in, and it's basically like a social network. For these people who want to be able to trade ideas and develop anything, whether it's art. It's like an exclusive club, right? It's a, it's a club. And if you own, do you have to, do you just have to own a couple of their coins to be asked to have access? Yeah, you're just paying for a membership for it. So, you know, and, and it's really interesting because think of like what happens already with the Academy Awards. You know, the Academy Awards, every year they have their awards show and it's the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Science, Right. So who votes on who wins that? It's the people who are members of the Academy. So people with SAG cards, you know, the actors themselves, anybody within the the industry has a voice, has a vote in best movie, best actors, best everything. And if you think of that model, but you think of it, take away the the centralized organization of the Academy itself. Right. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Running things veto they can make different decisions a lot of times they do right you know they take the voting as a general consensus but they still do what they want to do and you see that in centralized organizations all the time it's like the voting members become suggestions but they don't have to hold to it yet in a DAO, it is held to the members opinion it's held to the members directive i think that's where the power of a DAO really comes in So just so I kind of reiterate what I'm hearing you say, a DAO is typically a group of individuals who have purchased a token or many tokens. And however many tokens there are or holders of those tokens are are the members and each member can hold as many tokens as they want. And they probably get slightly more voting rights if they hold more tokens, right? So if I want to buy a there's only 10,000 tokens and I buy a thousand of them, I'm going to be one of the big guys, right? You know, cause I'll have 10% of the vote, but I would imagine these DAOs can also be designed. So no one person can own more than a certain percentage of it. Right. Isn't that true? Yeah. And again, that would be something that's baked into the smart contracts before anybody's putting any money into it, you know, and a lot of the DAOs they do, it has a limit on what percentage you can own, what percentage of participation you can own, you know, like if there's 10,000 coins, okay, you can buy up to 15. And you can still buy and sell these coins, which means you can, you know, you can get in and out of the DAO if you want to. Is that correct? Right. And a lot of these organizations, it's like they have different levels of tokens too. There's the governing tokens, which would be the ones making the decisions for the DAO. But then there's also utility tokens that are doing things within the ecosphere, like when you take, you know, a game experience or a game environment, right? So there's a lot people can do and go to town with on the coins that actually are running the game and you can earn within the game and, you know, all that kind of uh, space. And then there's governing tokens, which are actually the ones that are the part of the DAO that are making the decisions, you know? So you can, 
choose what you want to do within an organization. Okay. So let's talk about for those people that are interested in like what the heck they should do when structuring a DAO, let's talk about governance because it sounds like you've got to get this right from the beginning, right? Or you could be in trouble. Honestly, it's, it's pretty, I don't know, like, you know, it's, are there, it's are there contracts out there that you can copy? Like, is there open source, like standard governance contracts that you can look for, for DAOs? Yes. And that's one of the beauties of blockchain itself is that it's all open source. So, you know, you can even really take the the code from an existing platform that you like, what they're doing, how they're doing it, and you can fork the code and change it into what you want it to be doing. There's a lot of different things. Obviously, you have to have other people who want to do it too. Right. You know, so that it, it's meaningful to actually do that. <laughs> Are there any, are there any tips on like, when it comes to the, to this side of things, like what kind of people do, let, let's say that uh, someone listening is going to want to start a DAO. Who do they go to, to understand how to set up these, the governance side of this, right? Are there specialists that do this kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. What do you call those people? Yeah, there are. There are a lot of people right now that are giving consulting on it. A lot of them are legal. Okay. Okay. Consulting because right now there's still gray area, you know, it's like, the SEC has still hasn't figured out how to regulate DAOs and, and what's going on with it. The thing that is really interesting is I feel like the United States feels like they are, are still the king of the world and they're not the king of crypto or blockchain because they can regulate what's happening here in the United States, but that's not going to affect anybody else in the world who's doing it right now. Right. And that's, I think, one of the biggest most interesting things to observe right now is because you have a lot of people who are like, okay, well, we just won't include the United States. Right. <laughs> because their regulators are making it too hard, but there's this whole world out here who wants to do it this way, you know? And I think that that's a real wake up call. And that's one of the things our government is really struggling with right now is, you know, because governments like to retain power, you know, and this is this is literally the opposite of that. Blockchain provides the opposite of that. Let's talk about a couple of things that you thought about when you were putting your DAO together on the governance side of things. Just like what's a couple of basic things that everybody needs to be thinking about? First, you want to really determine what the goal of the DAO would be. For me, with the historical DAO, the goal is to create this museum. Okay, well, there's going to be cost involved in that. So how are we going to do that? Oh, okay, well, you know, we have these NFTs that are going to market and I've determined that half of them, instead of all the hundred percent of it going to me, half of it, I want to put towards the creation of this DAO, right? So then the people who are buying that NFT, they become members of the DAO, right? So wait, 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 when you say half of it, you, you mean half of the sale of every one of these NFTs? Half of the profit. Yes. Okay. Half of the sale. Is that going to be built into the smart contract? Is that the idea? Yep, that's going to be built into the smart contract. So then so then you have that automatically happening, right? So the wallet funding the DAO gets paid automatically with each of the sales. And then from there, you've got members that are coming in. They're buying their way into the DAO, their ownership of the DAO, because they're purchasing pieces of art, right? Now, these- They might not even know they're doing this when they buy the art. Right. Or, or is it? Well, clear? actually, I, I'm, I'm making it really clear that this is a really okay. awesome project that's, that's associated with these pieces. And that gives the pieces more value. You know, that really gives a value add to these pieces because it gives them a purpose with them. You know, it, it gives them a purpose beyond the art itself. Quick question. So you're creating these NFTs, half of the profits 
probably of the initial sale and the resells after whatever, you know, um, is, is going to the DAO. How does someone who owns the NFT even know that the DAO exists? How are you communicating with them? Does that make sense? Because so much of this is kind of anonymous in the world of, of crypto, right? You just have a wallet, like a MetaMask wallet. That's not really tied to an identity. That's obvious. So how in the world are you actually communicating with the people who bought the NFTs to even allow them to participate in the DAO? Well, I mean, it's open communication. The thing, the beauty with blockchain and the beauty with crypto is that everything is transparent. There's nothing that can be hidden, right? So, you know, the development of the DAO, granted, we're in the very beginning of the development of it, right? This first piece that's launching on January 3rd, the person buying this piece is going to be the very first member besides me in this DAO. And so we're in the infancy. The money generated from the sale is going to go into developing and funding the development of the DAO itself. So we're talking about like still in the womb at this point. Yeah, but I guess let me ask this question in a different way. All right. Let's say I'm very aware of your project and I know that this is going to be forming a DAO and I buy one of your NFTs. How do you, as the person who's birthing the DAO, is there a form that says fill out this email so I can communicate with you? Or do you let them know, hey, we got this Discord community, go over here? I mean, like, because it's one thing to buy an NFT and it's another thing to actually have communication somehow because that's not organically built in to NFTs, right? There isn't a communication channel. I do have a website for the Epic NFTs. There is a community that is being built around that, you know, so the communication is not a problem. Once the first sale happens, then that's when we get the coding for the DAO. We get the structure of the DAO, the smart contracts in place, and we're actually developing it. It'll have its own website. You know, it'll it'll become an entity at that point. And then you bring in Discord, you bring in the ways that you're communicating with everybody and everybody is coming together. But the way of the communication of the decision-making within it is through the smart contracts themselves. You know, the DAO, the, every member has their wallets attached to the DAO because a decision is made within the smart contract and your wallet gets paid automatically. I don't have to tell you money's coming. <laughs> you're just going to receive it. It's interesting. So it's all basically structured around the code and the code is the communicator. I get it on the receiving side, right? So if you're going to receive benefits from your membership or whatever, or airdrops or whatever, but it sounds like the key right now is going to be having that community be aware at the point of purchase, right? And somehow getting them into that community so they understand what the projects are working on and they can vote on these projects and all that kind of stuff, right? Because Otherwise, they're just a passive owner of an NFT and they don't really actively participate in the DAO, right? Right. The community is the easy part. Okay, cool. All right. Well, let's talk about tokens versus NFTs. It sounds like because NFTs are so much easier these days to create than a token that NFTs to DAOs seems to be an easier path than tokens to DAOs, but I could be wrong. Tell me more. Like, Is it much more complicated to create your own token? So NFTs are like tokens. But but isn't it true that there's tools that make it really easy for you to create an NFT today, like on an existing Ethereum platforms and stuff like that? Unless the NFT is going to have some kind of a use case within the structure itself, you might as well just do tokens because all you're doing is creating it within the smart contract. You know, the smart contract is written into the code that these determinants of value, which right. we call tokens, you know, 
that these are available for purchase and, you know, somebody trades you this token for it because they're going to pay with Ethereum or with, so they're going to pay in and then they're going to receive back. And see, that's the thing that that's really interesting when you think of cryptocurrencies is, you know, a lot of people think of crypto in terms of fiat and what it means in proportion to the dollar. But the beauty of actual cryptocurrency, when you're thinking of blockchain technology, is it's all value exchange. You give me something of value and you get something of value back. And the value is really, you know, it's personal. Somebody who wants to belong to the DAO, all they're getting is like a marker of this is a token. This is a a determinant of value that you're giving me something for so that you can retain this. And now it's an asset that you own that that proves ownership. It proves your position in this sphere and what that means as far as your voting rights. Okay. Is it just as easy to create an original token as it is to create an NFT? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it all comes down to code. So if you're not a coder, right, if you don't understand solidity and you don't know how to write your own code, then you hire somebody to do it. But hiring somebody to code a DAP, a decentralized application, somebody to formulate the DAO and structure the smart contracts around it, you know, you can go on Fiverr or Upwork and you can hire somebody who is proficient in the code, you know, writing. So it's just like hiring somebody to write to to develop your your phone application or your computer software. Where do you see DAOs going? Looking looking into the future 5 years from now, what's going to be the role of decentralized autonomous organizations? What's going to be the possibilities? Think of the realm of possibilities of where this could go because we're still early days in this obviously. Yeah. Honestly, one of the things that that it's going to allow is an amazing amount of purchasing power. I'll give you an example of something that just happened. I think there was there's only 13 copies of the original Constitution of the United States. People came together to form the Constitution DAO. Yep. And one of the copies was going up for auction at Sotheby's. And they're like, okay, you know, we can all have fractional ownership. And there's only like two copies, I think, in the world that are privately owned. So this was one of them. They did a big effort to raise money. People buy into the DAO. They got 7,500 participants and they raised $40 million. They were edged out of the auction by someone who went in for $43 million. $43 million. So they raised $40 million. So they were so close. But think of that kind of power, like bringing a group of people together who could own one of the copies of the constitution and that almost happened you know had they raised just a little bit more and i wasn't even aware of it when it was happening i read about it afterwards so to me a lot of it is going to be awareness but you bring awareness into projects and you can get so much individual backing and when you think of things like kickstarter you know and all these crowdfunded organizations and then you think of like the hive mind and the power of the hive mind and in, in science, in technology. There's so much power in bringing together so many minds. And I think that that's what the DAO is going to offer, because instead of having smaller organizations, you know, or an organization that has a small executive team, they may be a huge organization, but you have this small executive team directing it, making the decisions for it. When you have a DAO and it's got a huge number of members, you're going to have a much bigger consensus for the effort for where it's going. And, you know, I think that's going to have a huge impact on life itself because 
there's a lot of things that like, you know, a lot of people who really agree with, oh, this is what we should do about climate change. This is what we should do about this or that. But then you have small governing entities who have other agendas because they're bought by this lobbyist who, who wants the, the, the laws to be made this way or that way. I think that it's going to have the ability to have a, a lot more of actual public consensus for big problems and big things that need to be done and undertaken. And I think by nature, it's going to bring about a lot more good decisions, good ideas, good for the purpose of humanity, you know, in the future, because you'll have people who really do have a good directive that are making the decisions and it'll be less room for personal interest and personal gain. What I think is fascinating about the whole Constitution Dow scenario and others that are going to be like it is the global nature, right? And it's just people from all over the world, random people who don't necessarily know each other, buying into a cause with maybe one ether or a bit of an ether as much as they want to put in, but collectively in a very short period of time, like in a week, getting authorization from, I believe it was Christie's to be able to be recognized as a single entity. And then, you know, you just think about like, that's just the beginning of where this is going to go. Like you said, buying sports franchises, funding new projects for new developments that, I mean, like building the next decentralized Facebook. I mean, like you think about all these possibilities that could happen because it's all, it's fast, it's smooth, it's transparent, right? Yeah. And think of any situation that requires escrow. You have to have an escrow officer as the third party. The smart contract is the escrow officer, right? So when you think of loans and you think of all kinds of things, you know, selling real estate, you know, every home, the smart contract, the NFT attached to the home is going to become the new home title. It'll prove origination, ownership, change of ownership. You can bake into it details that were had taken place during the actual ownership of any section, like this owner did these renovations. This was done. These contracts were included. You know, that all gets included into the history of the property. So you'll be able to actually go buy a property and no one's going to be able to sell you a property that had environmental issues if it's not in that smart contract, because it'll all start to be documented. It's going to bring a lot more transparency and truth. And it's going to replace a lot of need for legal third-party entities to be involved in these transactions, which makes them quicker, a lot quicker to execute. And less costly. Denise, um, this has been really, really insightful. If people want to check out the projects that you've got going on, where do you want to send them? And also, if you have a favorite social platform that they might want to connect with you on, where do you want them to connect with you? EpicNFTs.art is my website for the Epic NFTs art. That's a great place to go. On there are the social channels for Epic NFTs. I'm on Twitter personally under Collaborative IQ. And there's a YouTube for the Epic NFTs as well. So, Denise, thank you so much for sharing your your insights with us. I mean, you helped answer a lot of questions that I had in my mind, and I know we're all smarter because of it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. This has been awesome. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash C3. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us and let your friends know about this show. I am at Stelzner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Business Crypto Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. 
The information provided in the Crypto Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. The Crypto Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.